0: Namaskar. Do we really understand ourselves? Know thyself. This has been told to us since times immemorial, be it the Vedas or in the Delphic maxims. However, do we even understand our own bodies? When it comes to proactive well being, do we have any conclusively proven options today? Ayurveda is one of the few extant traditions of medicine developed in ancient times that is still widely practiced in modern times. Even though many, particularly in the Western world, doubt its claims. Ayurveda, or the science of life, is a discipline of the Upved, or auxiliary knowledge in the Vedic tradition, and its origins are found in the Atharva Ved. The key question is that if we have a system that can be experimented on and empirically proven, is that valid, or is it still pseudoscience, as Johannes Quack calls Ayurveda? Our guest for today, Professor Balram Singh, is Professor and President at the Institute of Advanced Sciences in Massachusetts in the United States. Professor Balram, you have been a chemist by training and a pioneer in studying the bio-enhancing properties of bhasma, ash products used in Ayurveda, using contemporary characterization techniques. You have undertaken seminal work in the direction of verifying Ayurvedic practices and materials through a scientific lens. Your efforts to popularize Ayurvedic practices by appealing to the rational and scientific side of those who may benefit from their usage is noteworthy. You've also recently dabbled in the realm of exploring the fundamental basis of reality in the universe, a subject that I have been working on myself as well. I would like to welcome you, sir.
1: Thank you very much. It's my pleasure.
0: So, uh, Professor, your monumental body of work and papers such as that on the use of chemistry to understand Vedic knowledge in the journal, Contemporary Views on Indian Civilization, have made quite an impact. And for me, they have brought to the fore some novel perspectives on a subject that people both know and do not know about. What are your views on Ayurveda as an effective modern mode of treating ailments, and more importantly, facilitating comprehensive proactive well-being?
1: Well, Ayurveda is—I um, think—it has a huge um, potential at this point uh, of time that I see. Especially when we are talking about the entire world. Uh, in India, it has been practiced, as you alluded to, for thousands of years, and it is a, a, a knowledge system that has been is indigenous and it has been bottoms up, which means you know, the, in the in the Theory of sciences, as you would imagine, uh, is in the inductive uh, way of learning, which means you collect things bottoms up, and then you build up a theory. And so Ayurveda is one of those, and has, um, uh, I think, a huge potential. As like I said, the the most important thing at this point in terms of Vedic view of this, and Ayurveda obviously is a, as you mentioned in your intro, is a upaveda of of Vedic tradition. So uh, the question is, uh, to me, has been that, and coming from our modern scientific training, is that how to uh, communicate it, and how to make it practical, and how to universalize it. Universalize, I don't mean that, you know, there's one, uh, one particular drug or one particular process, one particular um, a system of uh, diagnostics, it's not like that. It's, I think Ayurveda recognizes that. Uh, it recognizes the multiplicity. It recognizes the diversity. I think it recognizes the locality. And so that is a system, which is a system of diversity, but which is a, a slightly different than modern science, which, which talks about everything uniformity um uh, and you know sometimes it, it it evolves into universality but when it comes to uniformity we are all different and ayurveda recognizes that difference that we are all different not only we are all different we are all different at any given time right even we are different from each uh, myself I' am different from what I was maybe a moment ago and ayurveda is one of those very I, I think, uh, from what I understand, and, and you know, I'm a biophysical chemist, so I have a little bit of understanding of physics and, and chemistry and biology. And in all the area that I see, uh, there is a huge potential of Ayurvedic system for not only for uh, making you know, medical system uh, and treatment, but actually to understand the world. And which would mean that it, it will touch on every aspect, so many aspects of life, Almost every aspect, I would say. And that's why the name Ayurveda means really the, the knowledge of life. It's not just a medical system, it Absolutely. is really a living system.
0: So, I mean, that ties uh, into my next question to you. I mean, and uh, in, in one of your works, you mentioned that these qualities and the basis of qualities uh, of matter in Ayurveda, you know, and that is, it is the interplay of these qualities that um, you know, underlies the whole idea and, uh, you know, the, the practice of Ayurveda itself. Uh, but you also go on to mention that qualities and the basis of qualities are mostly conceptual. Um, so does that mean that we cannot think, uh, you know, in a reductionist fervor of modern science uh, of, of a basic structural Ayurved uh, and rather have to think in a more kind of, you know, functional form, so to say, uh, in, in this formalism?
1: Yeah, it is. A, it is. A, I mean, I have been grappling with this, you know, <laughs> this is not that easy, uh, you know, I, I, I My introduction could also include that I work with the the, um, world's most toxic substance, uh, which is botulinal neurotoxin. And uh, I used to have this question uh, when I started, you know, 35 years ago or so. A lot of people will ask me questions when I make presentation: that how could this be the same thing be? a uh, uh, poison and the most toxic substance and also medicine and right now it's more versi- most versatile medicine i would say uh, in terms of botox and and other uh, brand names but you know basically based on uh, based on the same same uh, same substance and uh, and you know so the the cons- concept of qualities really comes from there you know the the guna and karma Guna and karma is a concept of Vaisesika philosophy. And uh, I got introduced to that when I became the director of uh, Center for Indic Studies at the University of Massachusetts. And, um, and I, I started delving into Indian philosophy. Then I found that it is you have to really understand the concept of this Guna and karma. And then uh, only from that you can find... so. You know, there, is, there are nine elements of uh, substance, you know, they, they call it actually, but, you know, there, there are nine elements of, I'm, uh, I'm translating that as a matter or substance. And uh, in that one, there is a time and space. And time and space is like what I mentioned earlier. Uh, when you add time, you are not the same substance anymore. So every moment uh, you can uh, you will be different, and Ayurvedic practice recognizes that. So that's one. The second one is a space. The concept of a space is very, uh, very important in Ayurveda, uh, th- That in which you know they give certain amount, which can be actually it's not only Ayurveda, I think it's a concept of science's philosophy, but applies to everything. It applies to botulinum toxin. If you give molecule less space. Uh, it becomes toxic. If you give it more space, just like any human beings, uh, you know, if you put concentrate, put people, you know, thousand people in a room, there is no way they're going to be comfortable or actually they will be toxic. They will break the rooms and chairs and tables. It's the same way about um, about the, the molecules, any molecules, actually in any behavior. So the uh, your question about concept this conceptually has to be understood. I know in chemistry, actually, right. both of them are true. In chemistry, we right. make uh, if we put two things together, and you know the the reaction occurs. You just take time, but all, we also know that if you change the concentration, the reactions are, occur faster. In yeah. that is also uh, acceptable and uh, has done has been done as experiment. So the concept of this conceptually, this, uh, this idea actually leads to further, which is very important for Ayurvedic, and that one is that mind. The, uh, the, the Ayurveda accept, accepts mind. Now, this modern science does not accept mind, and they are realizing it slowly and slowly that, you know, there is a stress, and there is actually the stress is of many of the diseases, but Ayurveda recognized a long, long, long time ago. And not only that, it's, it is guest into the atma. Right. So, in out of the nine elements, there are panchabhutas, time and space, mind and atma. So, it that concept. That's what I was. I think I was trying to refer to is that you have to understand this conceptually as to what it is, because you may not be able to prove directly. But it, it, once you make the concept, and it's not that difficult actually. You know, I I when I got exposed to this. I I started teaching a course at the graduate level right. it uh, was it's called chemistry of the mind okay. and I was very fortunate to be able to convince my department at the in the chemistry department that we I can teach chemistry of the mind because I got this concept yeah. uh, a, a little bit uh, from the and, and then practically from Ayurveda that I should explore it. Yeah. And so that concept has been been very very helpful and I thing I was I think that is what I was referring to that's right
0: I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a very important point. And I think there are some elements, there are some uh, you know, aspects which you mentioned, which obviously uh, modern science may call even speculative for that matter. I mean, including you know, the Atman and, and various other aspects, even the mind, I mean, uh, I myself have been working on mind matter um, in, in, in uh, the Cavendish with uh, Professor Brian Josephson. Um, but uh, the important bit is to kind of look at, uh, at least for the Western kind of critics, as we may uh, call them, uh, you know, how Ayurveda is increasingly being examined um, through the uh, modern scientific lens, right? So in recent years, we have seen a number of scientific articles uh, on such st- studies of Ayurveda. So how do you see this uh, going forward as we, you know, move along in the study of Ayurveda uh, and the ways of applying it uh, in today's time?
1: I think it's very important. I think it's a baby step, though. Uh, I mean, I myself have tried to do a few. Uh, uh, Aspects of Ayurved and approach, and I'm still approaching actually. Yeah. I'm still doing some experiments. and um, trying to understand, but my approach now is less of trying to con- uh, trying to confirm Ayurveda. Right. I'm actually in the mode of trying to learn from Ayurveda because, like you said, you know, uh, it is the mind and other things, it's speculative. Yeah so uh, you can just imagine when i talked to my department chair that i want to teach chemistry of mind and what might be his reaction <laughs> and he he just he just said that bell uh, how about chemistry of brain i said that is so obvious right. everybody teaches i wanted i want to go beyond and he said well that's more philosophy and psychology right. uh, we don't it is not a physical science actually And so I said, chemistry, is chemistry not the central science? And he said, yes, it is. Of course, you know, who would say it's not? I mean, people do accept that chemistry is a central science between physics and biology. And so I said, if anything exists, we should be able to study. And uh, he said, yes. I said, so his name was Don, Don Smith. I said, Don, do you have mine?
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And it was a difficult question for him, <laughs> and and he took I think good thirty seconds to say yes, and I said, do you think I have yeah. mine? And he was readily acceptable, and I uh, accepting of that, and and that's where the really the journey began. So he did, even though it's speculative, yeah. but it is really you know it it makes you step back and think about it. I mean we we have it, yeah. we just yeah. you know we did not find it from external. Uh, point of view from external observation, but it is an internal observation. So now going back to your question about, you know, how can we use scientific uh, methodology or scientific tools, modern scientific tools? Yeah, we can use the, the physical, chemical, um, biological systems, uh, which has been used, like, like for example, energy, you yeah. can use. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by what is pranic energy right. and i'm i'm exploring it. probably we'll talk to you offline because you are a physicist okay. it will be an interesting conversation and, and discussion <laughs> i have i have gone to baba ram uh, patanjali institute talked to um bal krishna, uh, Acharya bal krishna about it talked to so many other people who are ayurvedic uh, experts i've gone to uh, sankaracharya puri who is who apparently knows more about uh Manjabhuta and other things <laughs> to try to find out the physics of pranic energy, right. what exactly that damn thing yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and, and on the other hand, uh, there are people, including my lab, has done some work on biology of it, yeah. uh, which is the genetic expression, you know, the gene types and, you know, that kind of uh, basis of Ayurveda. And there people have found certain types of genes are being expressed more in you know, if you look at the the Prakriti, the body, the dosic dosas yes. and yes. Um, metabolic uh, differences have been found, another thing. And then there is a the whole lot of chemistry, uh, which is about the, all the, uh, the jadibuti, the herbals and, you know, and, and understanding the chemical reactions as to what is happening um, in terms of FDA approval of, of certain types of drugs. And, you know, so, so I have seen all of that, but I think they're all... Lacking something, and which is so Ayurvedic. Right. Uh, so, for example, you know, FDA approval thing, of uh, a drug uh, thing, and I, I have developed a few things uh, in my modern science uh, it, uh, field as well as in some Ayurvedic uh, things, and and there are some conventions. Right. So, it is not really, uh, in my opinion, is not science is not something that is. Fixed, just like Veda is not something like right. fixed. Right. Yeah. Although scientists, some scientists will frown upon saying that, well, you know, you're going to have mind now and then you're going to include that. In, but, you know, there is a way to explain and, and carry that out in my opinion. I have been successful to a certain degree with my colleagues to understand that, because, especially because of my experience with chemistry of mind and I, I have published a few things, and I can rationalize it. And I learned a lot in, in this process. So I think Ayurvedic concepts could be scientific. Right. I think this is, and actually science will benefit tremendously if we brought some of those
2: concepts. Right.
0: Uh, there are various important and interesting points there. Um, so obviously you spoke about the whole idea of pranic energy and uh, energy itself. Uh, you spoke about the life forces, the three doshas, um, Vata, Pitta, and uh, Kapha. Um, so I would like you to kind of uh, tell us a little more about these, uh, you know, in traditional Ayurveda, um, you know, the role that it plays and the central role that it plays within the Ayurvedic framework.
1: So, yeah, I, and I, I think, you, you know, my understanding again, Mr. Inge, is that anything that we create yep. in this world, it's just our own model
2: right.
1: of trying to understand things. It's not the reality, it's probably not
2: that. Right
1: uh but that's a perspective to approach something so bath pitkuff is a, a way of a broadly defining people's body and mind yeah this does include bath kaf does include mind in it for sure right. and actually it is it is sitting and on the platter of Atma and I have been able to convince anybody that that all three exist right. the physical physical chemical body or biological thing exists. Our mind also exists like you know, uh, like I was able to convince my department that mind does exist. Right. And now I I also, it's not that difficult to to sell, tell people that Atma exists. Well they will say, what is Atma? You know, who has seen Atma? Nobody knows what is this is all speculative, just like you said. Right. Well you see your mind, right? You're, when I'm talking to you, you probably, uh, your mind went to Cambridge University, when your mind went to some professors discussion while I'm talking about all this, right? right? And you know that it is going in Cambridge University, it went to Calcutta, it went to Delhi, and you're thinking about all the people that you may have interacted with and science classes you may have taken. So you know that it is your mind is traveling. And who is that you? Right. There is something which is observing your mind. And I say that's atma. Right. And anybody can test it. It is not something you don't need to sit in the ashram yeah. and close your eyes to think of whether atma will be coming. Yes. Atma is it's a witness. And actually that witness is very important in science. So I say science is we are observant. You know, we are supposed to be observing, right? right? So we are observing through our senses. Yeah. But then our senses is being uh, observed or monitored by mind our mind is traveling and is being observed by something that is still tells us that my mind is here, my mind is there. So actually, this is very practical. Now, once it is becomes very practical, it becomes very accessible to science. And this is where I think the, the, the game is for Ayurveda, to be able to communicate that concept. Yeah. So vat is a broad uh, classification of people, which is so obvious, people, you can just see them, right. you know, you the, the way it, it, anybody can find classification there. Yeah. The, I think the trick, though, is that it is not just, somebody is not just bata, somebody is not just pitta, somebody is not just kapha. Yeah. That's the, so there is an infinite uh, combination
2: yeah.
1: of these yeah. things, and that has to be examined, and that has not been examined in my opinion. Right.
0: Uh, this, uh, there, there was this very important point about reflexivity. That is the word I guess uh, many people have used uh, in terms of the witness, the observer-based kind of formalism, and within uh, you know quantum physics in modern science for that matter, we have that being central at the moment. Um, I'll come to that uh, in 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 a, in in a further question. Uh, but uh, before that, I would like to know that in one of your studies, you mentioned about these doshas and how they relate to, you know, uh, biological and physiological kind of, um, you know, movements and and, uh, processes, for instance, uh, you briefly mentioned right now as well. Uh, So you speak about the biomotor or that which relates to the bodily movements. You talk about the metabolic or that which relates to chemical processes that maintain life and the preservative or homeostasis activities. And you draw a comparison between this, uh, you know, very modern kind of framework, um, you know, an ambit of these activities with the dosha uh, perspective in, in Ayurveda. So, what motivated you to draw this comparison? Uh, you know, when when you did
1: it. Well, I, I mean, this is not. I did not uh, create. This has been going on. I think okay. earlier right. other people right. had. And I just use it. Okay. Uh, I just use it to explain wh- or understand what I am doing. I, I like I said, this is just a uh, some kind of uh, classification that earlier was just just three types of classification. Now this is more dynamics. Right. So there is transportation, there is transformation, and there is preservation. Yeah. And yeah. it. it I mean, our body, of course, is doing all the time. Right. You know, there is right. a air which is tra- uh, trans- being transported. There is a, There are molecules which are being transported. Yeah. So anybody can understand that. And there is a transformation because all metabolism is happening. And then there is a storage of fat or all kinds of other, uh, the bones and other things which are kind of a static. Yeah. So th- yeah. that is that process is continuing. So that's kind of... I, you know there is a there is a, a engineer I right, am forgetting right now his name I think Shiva Shiva his name is Shiva um, uh, Ayadurai or Shiva Shiva I, I remember the first name it, uh, is in Boston actually and he's an engineer and he uses these three to explain operation of anything right which is really absolutely true you know operation of this computer is also in the, those three storage. Transformation and flow. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, almost anything is is it's like an engineering process. I think people in Ayurveda understood, realized the dynamics. Again, going back, go, I go back to the same thing. This is the infinite combination of these. Right. That what is really important, and that is not what we are able to capture. You know, if, even despite the com- computational competence that we have, or uh, right now the capabilities that we have. Um, it is, I have, I have done some computational work, uh, with a collaborator in from university of uh, Massachusetts Lowell campus, his name is Valeri Barskow and we have published molecular, uh, computational, um, calculations, you know, the a molecule, how, how a molecule moves, you know, all three things can be applied to a molecule, a molecule moves, a molecule changes and molecules retains right. a certain thing. Yes. And we have. I've done calculations only at the microsecond level, not even millisecond, because the, it takes three, four days, a molecule of, let's say, 1500 amino acids or so, it takes three days to do that at microsecond level, the, the com- computer system he had. I asked him whether he can model a cell, you know, for a minute or so, so he said, no way. He says, a cell, right now, all the computer capability that we have, a cell cannot be monitored for one second. That's all, right. all the millions of cells that we have and, and being affected by gazillion things around us, which is our surrounding. So it is not possible, at least to explain at this point, Scientifically, everything that is going on, and that is important for uh, understanding Ayurvedic principles and Ayurvedic practice. So I think it, I think it'll take a while, and or there may be another way, which I think is has been there. I mean, obviously people didn't have computer that they have figured it out. So there there is another way to approach it, and I think we need to explore that as well.
0: Right. Um, so that's very uh, insightful. Um, so much like the manner in which everything in the body is said to be uh, intrinsically interconnected, as per Ayurvedic works, and I think that com- the idea of comprehensiveness and that the idea of integration is uh, something which is very central. Uh, be it in terms of the life forces, be it in terms of the gunas which work together, uh, and there are various inter- the, you know permutations and combinations, as you as you rightly put it. Um, so in recent medical studies, it has been seen that uh, you know biochemical profiles like you know liver function tests, lipid profiles, and so on. Uh, are related to each other and they have a very kind of uh, intrinsically uh, connected and related kind of, uh, you know, functionality. Uh, So how do you see these biochemical and hematological dynamics, you know, of modern um, medicine and and the biology of the human body uh, through the prism of Ayurveda, particularly uh, in terms of doshas and the prakriti types, uh, essentially?
1: Yeah, so again, we are are just trying to understand uh, Ayurveda from some of the things that we can know uh, in modern science, biochemistry, Mm -hmm. and molecular biology. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there are, I mean, right now I think the modern science is at the label of genome. They're trying to find out the genotypes of these things, like what you mentioned, um, of bath, pit, and cough. And and genes is is like, I mean, even in modern science, it is like a, a dinosaur, you know, that's uh, gene is a dinosaur now because, you know, we know that there is gene and then we are eventually uh, th- that is the basis of whatever we are, but actually what we are is not what the gene is, but how the gene is expressed right. and how the gene is expressed is not just a, a, a natural phenomenon of certain uh, instructions, but something that improvises you know depending on your situation where you are thinking what you are where you are and who you are with right. and what have been you eating and what is the season and what are all kind of stuff so even gene expression is affected now what and also interestingly what your sanskaras are now sanskaras very important in ayurveda the sanskaras people don't you know they don't believe in mind right now they have difficulty accepting mind sanskaras is even like previous life. How the hell that happens? Because that is very important. Now, why the is The people don't understand that, you know, how could that happen? Now, you know, there is. You, you maybe I'm sure you're familiar with epigenetics. Yes. So epigenetics is the one which continues from one generation to another generation. So sanskaras in chemical sense right. are something that, you know, you, let's say I have a thought. That thought has kind of all kinds of reactions in my body, or maybe I have a, a vision, I, I'm affected by something I see around me that gets encoded in my biochemistry and that biochemistry gets into every cell, including my sperm and womb of a woman and that is the way that continues the sanskara that people don't realize. Right. Now slowly, I think they will accept that idea also yeah. that there is a scientific basis of sanskaras. Right. and so that also affects. Uh, so it, it's not only uh, now we are talking about multiple lives. Yeah. People are talking about um, rebirths and what? How does that work? You know. It's, but I think if if really logically, if you start thinking about it, all that fits in it. And unfortunately, to your question, it
2: complicates. Right. <laughs> so so, so, so
1: the, the, it 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 makes it more uh, complex. Right. right. And I think I think that is called life. Yeah. Make it things very complex. It's called life. And Ayurveda is master of it. And again, I'm I'm, I'm not avoiding to answer the algorithm question. Yeah. I am just trying to allude to how complex it is that even there has to be an algorithm of algorithm. (laughs) A
0: meta algorithm, yes.
1: (laughs) Meta algorithm (laughs) to be able to even approach it. And I tell you this, I I had a, I I had, I mean, I get very, uh, uh, very sometimes uh, excited and sometimes very much concerned about science, especially when it comes to Indian tradition. So I actually invited once you know, many times you make presentation, like, you know, 20 minutes presentation, 40 minutes presentation in a conference and, you know, you do hand-waving, like, you know, I, I can keep, I mean, here also we are not really going in the details, but at least we are addressing some of the questions. Yes. But there, you know, somebody stands up and says something. And then, oh yeah, we have ours. like I said, sanskaras, you know, I'm I'm explaining sanskaras differently yeah. than what, you know, somebody will just simply say, oh, we have sanskaras is written in such and such book and this is what it, it is. Right. So I actually invited once uh, about half a dozen scientists and I hosted them for a week. Right. I said, you take whatever time you damn thing you take, yeah. but you explain everything that you want to talk about. Right. And yeah. I, I really, you know, there was one of the, one of the pre, uh, presenters, really, he used mathematics to explain Vedas. Okay. And he talked about mathematically how the transformation, you know, the fourth dimension yeah. of transformation. And he quoted from Vedas, right. from Rig Vedas. That how uh, there is a tesseract, yeah. there is a tesseract which is keeps changing. You know, every moment I'm just talking about this change yeah. time in 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 uh, in our basic uh, philosophy and how that changes and that he defined that as the ishora. Okay. Now, ishora is not something that you just do puja. Yes, ishora is something that you practice, and so you know there are some concepts like that, Mirtunja, that needs to be. Those concepts need to be uh, pursued yes. in a very methodical way. And I think then algorithm will become part of it because if you don't have the, the features, the concepts, the traits, yeah. the characteristics, then what would you do with algorithm? Because we don't even have that. And I think, unfortunately, uh, Ayurvedic uh, training right now in India is very static. It's not dynamic. Right. You know, And that is a concern why it's not moving forward, you know, you have to get delve into it, you know, whatever you t- I mean, I, I'm i a chemist, I was taught how to do some uh, photosynthesis and membrane or something like that, but, you know, now I'm delving into some of these new ideas, yeah. and uh, which is just conceptually, like you said in the beginning, there are concepts, but the all everything with the electron is a concept also, what the hell, you know, nobody knows uh, what exactly the electron is? Because if you deep down, I mean, as a physicist, you would know it. If you really start looking at what electron is, you find there's nothing really. You know what atom is? There is nothing. It's just some kind of force. So a, ultimately, you just get to the same level. Like, well, this is just a concept. But you know, eventually, we are able to provide give some kind of uh, weightage to that force, and then we can make a model, and then we are seeing there. So I think Ayurveda can also be addressed. But I think it's, it it will be probably nth order of whatever we are able to do at this time for the modern science.
0: I think that's a very important point because, as you rightly said, even in uh, physics, for that matter, uh, we are trying to see about uh, you know the nature of reality, and I'll come to that uh, shortly. But the whole idea that uh, is there really anything which is beyond, let's say, what the, you know we call the tensor kind of of various variables, you know, properties which come together to define something, uh, you know, which is out there. Uh, so that is a very important point, and I think that has to be dealt uh, into more. Um, You mentioned about genomes and the manner in which various variables, let's say in the the environment uh, around us, kind of get influenced and get expressed in terms of the genomic activities. Uh, So speaking of intracellular dynamics, in one of your writings, uh, I was reading about uh, where you mentioned that, you know, Ayurveda speaks of how the incomplete digestion of proteins may leave peptides of varying lengths. Right. So uh, th- this was a very specific kind of instance where you delved into something which was an intracellular kind of, you know, dynamics related point. Uh, so is there any specific textual evidence to claim that Ayurveda has discussed, let's say, the subject of decomposition of proteins uh, and gone into the whole uh, domain of, you know, not exactly genomics necessarily, but in terms of the very minuscule uh, of the life units that we have out there?
1: So I honestly don't I if Ayurveda has gone into that details. What I think I know is that they talk about Jatharagni. You know, they think that the basis of everything is your st- tummy. Right. You know, everything, whatever happens in your stomach, they, they think that the, all the problems in our body and all the solutions in our body remain, stays in the stomach. Yeah. And so there are two aspects of that. One is there is a microbiome. And that has now modern science has accepted. So it's not just the food that your uh, nutrition that you're getting, but something more than nutrition that is controlling. No, number two is there is a vagus nerve that is connected uh, uh, our stomach, you know, the gut uh, to the brain, and 80% of neurotransmissions in our body actually happen between the gut and the brain. So that's very fascinating. Now. Uh, what are the, the why I said about this nutrition more the the biopeptides in food digestion? It is my way of approaching it because it couldn't be just simply like you eat the food, you got the amino acids, you got the carbohydrates, and you got energy, and you're done with it. Uh, as, as we know now, actually, there is the complexity of the, of the microbiome is humongous, and it's a, it's a very different for individuals because the it is the kind of bacteria that you will have host in your uh, stomach is not only related to your body but also your mind and everybody is different at, in in terms of how they think and what they do and that affects that now the food is like a third factor because that's kind of makes you survive so so i i got this idea from you know a2 milk you know, they have A1 milk and they have A2 right. milk. Yes, Indian Indian cows have A2 milk for some reason. You know, all the Indian cows have A2 milk. All the American cows have A1 milk. And then there are some in-between all, all over the world. Uh, I mean, some people have made industry out of it. And, you know, I got very fascinated by that story because the difference between those two are the digestion of one particular point. In one place, when it cleaves because of some mutation, in the in the casein the protein that that is that is for our nutrition there is a seven amino acid peptide that gets released in a1 milk not that is not uh, one in a2 milk and that acts as a hormone it kind of changes your physiology it changes your how does it do a physiology i think there are more studies being done but it definitely there are uh, there are many hormones which are small peptides and so then and there are many growth hormones, there are many all kinds of uh, molecules in our body, they, they, they are bi- active, biologically they are active. So uh, we did uh, some experiment in our lab yeah. and, and we were just we just did what is known as um, simulated gastric, simulated digestion. Okay. So you can do the test tube, Basically, it's all very well known. And I, I work with botulinum toxin, which is the food poison, so we kind of are familiar with that kind of stuff. And so we said, that let's just put some proteins and see what do we get to amino acid. We didn't. We got actually dozens of other peptides and we have not done, you know, we wrote to NIH at that time, didn't get funded. So it has been in the back burner. We would like to pursue it more. And I I started that research again. Um, So I think that from from our uh, data, we get these peptides of various sizes and we know we need to screen them as to which ones are doing what and to whom. They are doing something to our gut, number one, because there is a huge mucosal layer. And I'm, again, a little bit familiar with that because of i toxin in the food poison and we understanding the mechanism by which it goes and how the tiny things uh, affect, including basma, um, that I'm sure you are interested in talking about, uh, is, is how does that affect? And then also how all this affects the microbiome. Right. You know, people have bloating. Yeah. The bloating is not because you created gas, actually. Right. It is the bacteria which creates the gas in your body. Right. So when you eat certain types of food, yeah. the bacteria gets uh, wrecked up and says, you know, what's going on here? And they, they start functioning and you get gas. Right. So, so you, you know, it is that kind of observation. Uh, some molecular observation, some physiological understanding, some uh, something from the um, liter- literature about milk, and our thinking, our approach of trying to find out how our whether works, which I'm really very fascinated with that, um, both at the physics level, both at the chemistry level, and also biology level, and that's how I, I started
2: thinking about that
0: that's very fascinating and also I think one aspect you mentioned was this whole idea of experimentation that you are you know you have been looking at and trying to pursue Uh, but you know when it comes to a proper scientific kind of you know methodology um, obviously there are a lot of different influences on uh, you know human prakriti and doshas for that matter Uh, you know everything from seasonal changes to mental state dietary intake as you uh, mentioned briefly so in any experimental verification of this manner and extent of you know where there is so much of dependence you know across various, various Uh, one of the key things that is obviously done is to control some of the factors and try to kind of influence you know see the influence of let's say one or two uh, specific factors on the state of the system um, so I, am, I was very curious because, you know, this is coming from a purely scientific kind of perspective. Uh, how do you even conceptualize a control experimental assessment, you know, of, of this kind of a dependence? Because these are not only kind of spatially or, you know, uh, uh, you know factor-wise diverse, but they're also temporally kind of, you know, uh, expanded in time, for instance, right? Uh, so how do you conceptualize such a control experimental assessment uh, to see how these different variables and factors can affect
1: the prakriti and doshas of, of an individual, let's say. Yeah. I mean, this is a humongous question you're asking. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, I mean, the, w- the way these things are worked, yeah. I work in yeah. biology and, you know, so when you, when I have, I have like, like whole cell, right. I have bunch of things that we add in it. Right. And, and so you sometimes, it depends on what your purpose is. Like if I want to check, um, the, the role of these biopeptides. So I can I can uh, digest them for a, a, a nth order, let's say, completely. There's no no biopeptide left, as an example. will be my first control. I will be doing first controls where I digest it completely to amino acids. There is no peak in, you know, we did HPLC and, and uh, mass spectroscopy. And then we just find that there are only amino acids left. No, nothing else is left. So we at least know that and, and then you you use this and treat with, I mean, those size is really too far right now. Human beings are too far. I'm talking about cellular level. Right. I would like to do this experiment at cellular level. I mean, we will we can take intestinal cells and grow them in the lab and expose them to these uh, bio, so-called biopeptides of different labels of digestion and complete digestion and no digestion. Right. So my control will be no digestion. Complete digestion and various levels of digestions, and see the response in the cell. I I'm not even ready to talk about dosas and other things. Yeah, <laughs> whatever <about laughs> other barriers. Yeah. This, is the, this is the limitation of, of modern science, uh, which is which is again, I want to emphasize that somehow Ayurvedic system, the Vedyas, they do have all this. They they don't, I mean, for example, they look at your nail. Right. You know, for God's sake, you know, that, and then that they kind of try to diagnose because they. this is the, the, uh, the color of your nail, nail or something about your tongue diagnostics or something to do with your nose, something to do with your breathing, something to do with your nadi. All these things are uh, cumulative effect of all this. What you're calling, talking about, you know, we will do some algorithm. It's the effect of the, you know, and there is, there is this kind of sensation. I'm not saying that's perfect. I really think that, you know, you have to be really, really good. I'm not convinced, I haven't met one uh, who can do all this. But the, the point I'm trying to say that to run the control, to understand the science, is it one thing? To apply it to reality is entirely different thing. And which is true, by the way, of physics as much as to Ayurveda, because in physics, um, talking about quantum or talking about thermodynamics, in the thermodynamics, you have what? System and surrounding. Yeah. You know, damn thing, is one electron is a system, everything else is surrounding, right. right? The moment you focus on one electron, that becomes system, everything else becomes surrounding. And can you imagine that, how much of that? Yeah. <laughs> how will you run that control?
2: Absolutely.
1: How will you run that control on in time? So now that is the answer yeah. to Ayurvedic, this question. If anybody asks this question, how are you going to do this? Yes. Uh, to me, and you know, is, does that make any sense of what I'm doing? Right. I don't think it makes yes. any sense what I'm doing. But I don't think it makes any sense of having an electron also. Yeah. <laughs> so if the electron makes a sense with all this surrounding, then my Ayurvedic experiment also makes a sense right. with all kinds of changes.
0: So, I mean, I totally relate to that because in, in quantum mechanics, you mentioned about, uh, you know, electrons, but in quantum mechanics, for instance, this uh, whole effect of the environment uh, and the noisy environment for that matter, uh, and things known as, you know, the, the effect known as decoherence, kind of uh, removes the quantum mess of various particles. So it's kind of, you know, it's very tough. It, it, it requires a lot of different kinds of conditions and, and things to kind of maintain the quantumness. So I, I completely get that. And it is quite tough, I'm, I'm sure. Um, in the past, um, there has been this aspect which you know uh, the food and drug administration agency uh, and i'm asking this because you have already addressed this point uh, you know briefly uh, about how the fda has been you know you have been engaging with them uh, but in the past the fda uh, of the united states has said uh, that one in five ayurvedic medicines have been found to contain certain you know uh, uh, substances lead mercury and arsenic you know, substances that are known to be harmful to humans and has banned some of the medicines in the US, right? So uh, since basma as well comprises of certain kinds of metallic powders and pieces, uh, will it not have an adverse impact on the, you know, human physiology? And how can we resolve this predicament? Because, you know, clearly this has been used as a point of misprojection uh, to portray all of Ayurveda in a slightly negative light, uh, you know, in the US and elsewhere as well. Uh, So how do we resolve this predicament?
1: So there are so many issues right. about drug. Uh, and FDA uh, was, from what I understand, was formed to help uh, translate scientific discoveries into practice as a medicine and food. So their job is to make sure that science is followed. Right. And whatever, they don't do anything. I mean, the FDA people, I've met so many of them, and some of them are my good friends. They don't, they don't make any rules. They make the rules based on science, and they want to make sure the science is followed. That's their, their job. Their Food and di- Drug Administration, they want to just make sure whatever is. They don't make science. If scientific theory is there, so you present to them that this is what my science is, and this is what I think... We, I'll maintain like you're saying, how will I do the control, and how will I do this, and this is what I mean. And once you have established, they will look into the literature and somebody else has done, they will say, well, you know, it matches, doesn't match, and you know how to reconcile. That's all they do. So that's very, it's important for us to understand, you know, that that's the process. Now, in terms of um, the the ban and problem with the uh, with the Ayurvedic Ayurvedic products, well, there is a quality control. So the first issue is a quality control. You know, if if you have a messy product because you didn't do a good way of washing your dirty booty and you did not cl- make sure that your instruments are clean and you got some contamination. Well, that will be a problem not only the mercury and and lead and and arsenic, but anything else you know if you got you get some insects in it, you know that will be the same yeah. problem. So I think every, you know if you do, if you do a messy thing it, it will have problem. Yeah. So that's one label of problem. I think that can be easily solved. Right. That's not a scientific issue. Yeah. That's just an issue of business practice, right. you know, how how you technology, how you're applying. But there is, there is a problem with the real problem with Ayurveda is that they do have metals right. in their products. They intentionally put that in. And you know, when you do atomic absorption spectroscopy, you will see them. And then nobody will deny that, you know, I put, I mean, they normally put like gold and and uh, silver, copper. But they do put arsenic, also they put mercury, they also put lead. Now, you know, uh, uh, silver, I think people are willing to tolerate here, even though it's heavy metal and it actually could be dangerous also. But, you know, they, that's, that's like more familiar. But these uh, other ones are very difficult. So they have looked at is heavy metals are a problem. I mean, if, you, if somebody is given um, silver, we have done that experiment in our lab. Right. Uh, it, it, we have done it at the cellular level, it's, uh, it's very toxic. Uh, if you have silver, you treat cells with silver, you know, they're dead. So, so it, I think they are right about it. Now the difference between Ayurvedic metals, as they call or, or as they call it Bhashma, actually. And, um, and unfortunately, Ayurvedic people, like I said very, at the very beginning, there's a good uh, requirement of translating your system into the scientific system and then use proper words, because if you use wrong words, you say heavy metals, well, it's a big problem. You're going to be banned. Right. But if you say that it is uh, processed metal, you know, we always use, we are using always, you know, we are using lead everywhere. We are using mercury, in our know, thermometer. And no problem. Arsenic is also being used so many places. Uh, it, but you have to say it properly. I, I think they say it's uh, ash. Right. Well, that doesn't really help a lot because it means that you know you have just burned it down into powder, and you're giving me powder. There's more problems. <laughs> yes. It is better to have mercury in a jar rather than in a powder that will flow around and get into my nose, get into my eyes, get into my ears, and that's like more dangerous. So the, I think this is one of the problems is that they they it has not been communicated. Right. And as it, as FDA or the scientific community in the United States should. This, they're doing their job of being concerned about it. Right. But it is the job of the Indian Ayurvedic scientists and Indian scientists who may understand that. And unfortunately, they don't. Right. So I I have come up with some explanations. You know, I have become Sanskrit acharya <laughs> because I, I, I asked why, you know, all the Sanskrit people also say the same thing. Bhasma is just like an ash. No, well, it's not ash, you know, ash is was one, it's like an ash, right. but it's not ash, it is a processed material. Now, when it is processed material, it can be consumed. A lot of processed things that otherwise you would not touch them. But since they are processed, you have no problem. You know, we have all kinds of polymers around, you know, tiny polymers, but then you make them, those polymers in clothes and you use them as the clothes, it's not a problem. You use for plates and so this is also like that. The so bhašma is a processed material at least in English. Uh, you can you, you can say detoxified material will be actually better. Right. Uh, so it is detoxify. Botulinum toxin, damn thing is a, a very 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 toxic. Right. But we give them as a medicine because they know this is this has been put in the in the formulation in such a way that is a medicine. It is also the the is a formulation of some kind. I think if we explain in that way, uh, it will be acceptable. But you have to create for FDA to go back to your question about FDA. If, they, if you tell them the science, they're just going to follow the science. Right. You know, you say, I, I showed them in, in my lab that and other, people have done, other people have done with gold particles. You know, they call it nanomedicine. And that they showed how it works. Right. Uh, it's a bio-enhancer, it, it, it helps the cellular process. And we also, we did that experiment. We did, uh, we did take a silver nano material and we took hasma which is also nanomaterial, and we treated them to the cells, and we saw that one of them kills 100%, another one retains 95%. Uh, so it's not toxic. Now, FDA will be very happy next time the product comes to use this assay, because exactly that's what FDA does. You give them an assay, and they say, this is here is a science, and here is why my product works. No problems. FDA is actually very cooperative. I find them to be very, very cooperative
0: i mean uh, your seminal work on Bhashma, because you mentioned about this right now uh, you know recently has received uh, quite rave reviews and you have used uh, various modern scientific characterization techniques ranging from you know thermogravimetry to spectroscopy to study the properties um, so specifically with regards to one of your papers uh, in your paper in open nano in 2017 uh, you have scientifically analyzed the physicochemical properties of uh, herbally prepared uh, silver nanoparticles and its potential as a drug bioenhancer uh, can you tell us a little about this, please?
1: Yeah, so actually, the, I mean, the, this is not our pioneering work, although we have more been more systematic. And like I said, my understanding of and my respect for Ayurveda is more than just simply meeting some requirements. Right. So I, I, I think that our tone in the paper is a little bit different and our results are a lot more than what we have published yeah. right now. So we are very, very confident about, about whatever we are talking about. One thing... Is that we analyzed and we showed them that it is, it is kind of nanomaterial and we got it the commercial products, right. you know. And when we got this made, uh, the silver uh, nanoparticles in Professor Yaswan Patak, who is a professor of pharmacy in uh, University of South Florida, we got that material from him and we tested. And then we found one is toxic, another one is not toxic. Right. Now uh, we looked at the characteristics from, you know, modern uh, techniques. Uh, whether they are X-ray diffraction or other kind of a spectroscopic measurement, we also tried to actually try to do NMR. Uh, we we didn't find any difference. Uh, I think we need to get more work. More we need to do more concentration extraction and other things. But we use modern te- techniques to show that there is really um, these things are different. We we found that the the amount of metal is there. You know, it's like maybe sixty-five percent or fifty percent of the basma is a metal, but it's not metal only. There is a carbon, there is a hydrogen, there is nitrogen, which also shows that something has happened to this basma right. in this process. And it's not toxic. That means it has been what they they, they call it in, uh, in Ayurvedic technology. It has been sodhan has been done. You know, it has been, they, they again, sodhan is not exactly purification because again that creates more problem. You just so then basically means detoxification, it means suddhi. Right. It has been suddhi, suddhi is not same as pure. Yeah. When you say pure, it's even purified. That's what they say, it has been purified. I, I was talking to a, a Ayurvedic practitioner last right. night, and she said she, she has done, she's a rasa sastri, you know, she has done masters, yeah. uh, what is equivalent to MD in in Ayurved. and she's talking, is purified. Right. I mean, the moment you use purified. You it created a problem when right. you purified metals. Are you telling me that you're telling me that is good? No, you have to say that detoxifies The sodhan does not mean purified, although suddhi sometimes means pure. But suddhi means good, <laughs> it is not bad. Right. And so I, I think going back to the, our paper, we have this approach to explain that. And we also did some um, some other experiments in which. We, we exactly looked at the mechanism by which what is happening. And uh, so we, we had atom, atomic force microscopy in which you can look at the cells, their structure uh, after treating with Bhasma. And uh, like, like you were talking about control, without treating with Bhasma, we, we treat with something else. Also, we treat with some other metals. And we found that Bhasma uh, has a uh, characteristic, it, it makes there's something called cell uh, cell-cell-tight junctions and that really prevents anything from entering in you know, a mucosal layer all over. Our, our body right. has this, this epithelial barrier. It doesn't allow everything to just go in, actually. So then we found that it actually makes that uh, paracellular transport, as they call. You know, mostly, the, the, it's a, it's some, the transport happens through transcytosis. It goes in the cell and goes the other side right. of it. But paracellular transportation between the cells, yeah. And so we found that actually Bhasma creates that gap. And we can be, when we put some dyes, we found the dyes are going through that. And so Bhasma is one of the mechanism of bioenhancing that we said is really being caused by that. But our research actually, which is not published yet, we have like, you were talking about earlier genomes, but there is a the proteomes and there is metabolomes, there is lecophomes, you know, that kind of, ohms are, there are a lot of ohms yes. uh, in, in science, which basically means like complex system. Right. And so we have done that. Actually, we did this research with a uh, scientist at CDC. And uh, so we are, you know, that also is very helpful by the way. If you if you work with multiple disciplines, not just i only not me, but you know, in, in this paper that we have, we have an engineer who is a bioengineer. So he's he doesn't have any other interests except that he's a good engineer and he's working with us on this some of the aspects of it. The same way when we are going to publish our paper with the 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 analysis of micro uh, the mass spectroscopy which was done at CDC, and then people will see that you know this is not something somebody just trying to sneak away yeah. or sneak out of something or sneak in, but uh, but something that we are engaging people, and I think that is why we are getting a little bit better um, uh, traction there.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, you mentioned about the retention of dye, and that is something which, I, and also the uh, the junctions between cells. Um, so I was very curious to know about what you uh, see as the underlying physical mechanism of this process. I mean, and uh, how is it that this uh, retention is uh, augmented, for instance? Um, and how does it relate back to the ancient formulations of, you know, the efficacy of bhasm and, uh, you know, such products essentially um, within such practices.
1: I mean, it's it, much easier for me to explain the retention of the diet right. and how this is worked with Bhasma people. I I was like I was talking to an expert yesterday, last night, because he heard my talk right. in one of the uh, one of the, the the Council of Ayurvedic Research here in the United States, and they had organized three three day uh, symposium last month, and I was a speaker, and you know there were a lot of people Ayurvedic people, and I think I got like a response from all over the world, believe it or not. And including one from NIH, uh, the program officer of NIH wrote to me about this. So actually, you're right. I think it's getting, I didn't realize that this is getting that much fascination of people, right. the fancier people. Yes. Uh, but it is getting, but the, so the first question of your retention of the dye is kind of easy with, like I said, it's tight junctions open. Right and these dyes are going through that. So we capture them in the process and we don't find these dyes anywhere except in that That's
2: space. It, yeah.
1: so, so we can just look at uh, under microscope. Right. That's kind of easy. We, we, anything that is passing through that, we know that is where it is going. Right. Now the, the question of how does this now uh, be you connected to Ayurveda, I I, I asked this person, who her, her name is uh, Ritika Shah, and she's an Ayurvedic doctor. And see, I was asking her how they use Basma. I want to know. I don't know that much about it how they use. Yeah. I, from my understanding, Basma is usually, I mean, I would say rarely used by itself. Right. Always used in some formulation. Yeah. And I know a little bit about formulation because I work in the formulation area. Right. So the different things have different roles to play. Sometimes something stabilizes, right. something, some sometimes something. Uh, activates, sometimes something facilitates, is pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics is also important. So the at least one aspect that we know would be from our research is that it opens the paracellular space. That means it allows the drugs to go inter, at least one role is done. Now what is what I don't know, and I'm, you know, and and, uh, fortunately uh, Dr. Ritika Shah has uh, volunteered to. Uh, work, collaborate with us, uh, and, you know, we will learn more from her point of view, how the practice is, but there are different kind of hashma. so if if I just showed the silver, then they use silver everywhere, right. but they don't use it, right. and I asked her that question, and so she she, she jumped into the purification stuff, right. which is kind of a problem, so I, I my feeling is that uh, hashma. Different kind of bhasmas, arsenic bhasma uh, and mercury bhasma, lead bhasma, gold bhasma, copper bhasma. All uh, all these things are uh, they they probably have some characteristics depending and and that depends on how you make them right. because every bhasma is not exactly made the same way. The different herbs are used and those herbs in combination with bhasma have different interaction with different tissues. At least even in the bio-enhancing mode, right. and they may actually have. Some biochemical role also, which I think we we'll need to explore. So the field is wide open; yes. so much to do.
0: Absolutely, and and your study also uh, kind of goes into this uh, very uh, specific, I think, thermogravimetric uh, study uh, on the weight loss of basma uh, and its decomposition when we increase the temperature. So uh, there are some kind of uh, textual um, characterizations of Bhasma. So one of them happens to be Apunar Bhavata, which is the incapability uh, of a substance to regain its original metallic form, um, which is seen in the context of of Bhasma in ancient Indian texts. Have there been kind of uh, correlations with these characterizations with, let's say, the uh, textual evidences? Uh, and there are various other attributes also. For instance, uh, which is the tendency to float and you know and spread on cold and still water. Um, and let's say Nishchandra which is the lusterlessness of Bhasma as well. So there are various you know, attributes and properties. Uh, so how do they relate to, let's say, characterization studies that have been done? Um, and what all kinds of characterizations have been done of Bhasma as it stands?
1: So, I mean, you asked so lovely questions. <laughs> uh, this There is a minefield of uh, research opportunity right. and scientific advancement, product development, the taking care of public health, this minefield. Yeah. And I'm just so, so aghast as to why Indian scientists, we are 1.4 billion people, right. you know, we can almost study everybody and everything about everybody, yes. but I don't know why they don't do it. Yeah. Now, going back to your question of, uh, of various kinds, you know, like floating yeah. You know so so this creates nanoparticles right. as, as a physicist you would know that when things become uh, uh, circular or uh, what is the other word for that um, they the round when they become round anything it increases surface area right 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 so the, when the surface area is increased obviously that the, the thing that touches the the let's say water aqueous thing yes is only a small portion of it right and so it will float. It, all it explains yeah. is that the metal, rather than just metal particles, it has now become a nano, right. a, a circular, a globular, and its shape has changed. So it will float. Anything you can put, anything, if you put a, even, uh, even a ball or something in water. And if it is a ball, it will more likely float than if you just put a, a piece of right. it, the same way. So the, because it increases the volume, you know, surface area has increased, volume has increased. So it's like a simple physics phenomenon. You also talked about um, what was the other thing you talked about, Nishandra? there was another third uh, the, thing.
0: the lusterlessness, the lusterlessness as well.
1: The lust, yeah, the lusterlessness. I will come to that, but what there was another thing uh, the, you said the, 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 the
0: regaining, uh, the non ability to regain its metabolism.
1: oh, nah. okay, okay, very good. So, let's let's talk about uh, lusterness first, lusterlessness right. first. So, what is luster? It's nischandra. now so people think that it's whatever the metallic thing was you know that what was shiny is gone but actually it at the further label this is just a visual at the at the label of chemistry the is intensity of something has gone right. intensity is not only light like what we see right. but also its intensity of means toxicity right. I I I define it as a toxicity, and how why I say this now. This is where I was saying that I became a Sanskrit chare. Okay. I am a, I am a chemist, right. and uh, so I think the atoms. You know the word for atom. Yeah. Atom definition of atom is the something that cannot be destroyed. Right. You know that's how it came. Akshar, by meaning akshar means it cannot be destroyed. Right. So I I I have claimed myself to be a Sanskrit etymologists, and I, I even tell that etymology really may be coming from etymology, right, right. etymology is maybe coming from etymology, <laughs> and then maybe be just college. so, so now, now with that uh, background and, and, and my my cla- clarifications, I delved into defining what Bhasma really means. Right. Bha means light, just like Bhaskar, yes. and Ma means no, right. that means light, nishchandra Gakli means that. Right. The light, right. in this case, is not just light like uh, what we are talking about, really light, right. but its intensity, right. and intensity right. means toxicity, right. because right. that intensity light charges, you know, the, when you see in a, in a metallic form, right. it can take the ionic form, ionic form is what is toxic, right. so its ionization has been taken away, yeah. and that's the nischandra for me, right. as a chemist, right. and how does that happen will answer your other questions. Why it cannot be returned back. So, I, I, I employed uh, various colleagues of mine in my department. Actually, I, I made a team of like half a dozen inorganic chemists, organic chemists, biochemists, physical chemists. And one of the inorganic chemists, uh, I'm forgetting his name, David Mankey. Uh, David Mankey, uh, he studied it. And, you know, he studied you know like something otherwise people won't study but you know since we were as a team he studied it and he said that first thing they do in traditional way of making they make the, put the metal in gomutra okay now most people oh my god you're putting you know like modern scientists, right. you're putting <laughs> in this urine or something you know but then he was very good actually he's inorganic chemist he said that you know what is that is doing balram i said what I said, he said that because urine is a good source of nitrate
2: right right
1: yeah So they are doing nitrification Mm -hmm. or nitration of the basma. So there's nitrates around. And then they put in gober. Mm -hmm. That's another, you know, they put in cow dung. Now most people say, what are you trying to do here? The gober is a rich source of sulphide. Right. So when you have nitration, then you do uh, sulphide group addition. It makes covalent bond. Right. There is a, other processes like you were talking about heating and beating yeah. and you know all that kind of stuff. Yes. That is, heating and beating is done to make it fine particles. Right, right. But all these uh, treatments, like initial treatment and then herbal treatment, is done to chemically modify the surface of the Bashma. Yeah. So it it makes physically it makes a, a particle, a nanoparticle, which is round and circular, and and then. Chemically, it treats it so that surface gets modified. And so it's chemical transformation that cannot be returned back in ordinary. Of course, you can can treat with all kinds of chemicals and get it back, which is what we are trying to do, by the way. We're trying to reverse it to find out what in NMR as to what are the things on the surface. And since it is so tiny and so small, that we have not gotten enough of that extraction and we haven't done the process also we need to treat with very uh, very uh, heavy duty processes to extract what is in there so we have tried to transform it back yeah. like you were saying can it can it be turned back well we have tried to do that because we want to get what are the chemicals and we haven't been able to do that we only are able to do x ray yeah. powder x ray diffraction and from that we are able to find what are the elements in there, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, sulfide, and we find them. So that means it has been modified, it has been detoxified, uh, it has intensity and toxicity has been removed and will not go back. How much you try, it definitely will not go back in your body physiology.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. (laughs) So many things, so many aspects and nuances.